Chelsea Fairless. And uh, someone just had a birthday, Chell. What? Who? I believe oh. your dog. <laughs> yeah, he's he's one. This woman a year ago could not give two shits about a dog. And yesterday... Hate dogs. And yesterday you got a balloon and a cookie? Yep. And it's not even the anniversary that you got this dog. It's his literal birthday, which you happen to know. Well, that's what you celebrate, like the birthday. I mean, you you don't know what Frosty's birthday yeah, is. Yeah, I don't so know you, my dog's birthday. Well, just assign a day. How does he feel about turning one? I don't fucking know. But in addition to the cookie and the balloon, he also had a bit of a spa day. It's Well, it's just like I took him to get a bath at the dog place. But because we live in Los Angeles, they're like, we're giving him a manicure. We're giving him a blueberry facial, which he needs because he's a bulldog and you have to like get in those folds, you know? I can't believe you. Like truly. No, I know it's sick and gross. Like I kind of like, I, I know. Hate yourself. <laughs> yeah, I kind of hate myself. Anyway, how are you? I'm fine. I mean, you were not here on Saturday, but I screened one of my dad's erotic thrillers. How was it? It was entertaining. I'll put it that way. I mean, we were dying of... of How were the 90s implants? (laughs) Not a lot of 90s implants, but a lot of bananas in this film. Mm. And that's not a metaphor for anything. There's truly a a sex scene or a pseudo-sex scene where a guy is eating a banana from a woman's waistband. (laughs) Of her high-waisted 90s underwear, and I said to my dad... Your dad really went there. I was like, oh, we're going to watch one of your your movies, and he said, why? They're not good, and I was like, that's kind of the point, but I was worried. I was like, what if it's (laughs) just... Your poor dad, that's so rude. We love you, Andy. Think Think of all of the guys that jerked off in their houses to this movie. I mean... And I asked him, I said, what was with all the bananas in this film? And he said, uh, I think it was just the director trying to be artistic. <laughs> yeah, I was doing some call me by your name shit. Oh, maybe that's where the author got it from. <laughs> yeah, people shouldn't like incorporate fruits or vegetables into sex under any circumstance. I strongly believe this. Yeah, we don't kink shame except for two things, and I think Dan Savage is on our side with this, which is adult babies and food during sex. Don't believe in it. Well, it's like, fine, be an adult baby, that's fine, but it is just funny. And you should accept that that's like a reasonable Reaction. thing for me to do. You yeah. know? If you're showing me... No shade, but like, that's just how it is. If someone is showing me around their apartment and there's a human-sized crib there, we are going to <laughs> laugh. <laughs> Yeah, have you ever been to adultbabyfurniture.com? I mean, we have because it's a preoccupation of ours, but if you're asking our listeners if they have, probably not. My favorite thing is on adultbabyfurniture.com. They're like, look at this crib we made for this episode of CSI or something where there was like an adult baby plot line. Oh, God. Um, Do you think there's adult baby con? A convention for adult babies? I'm sure there's some sort of age play convention in some back room in some Las Las Vegas convention center. I mean... It's in Reno, actually? Yeah. Do you think they actually walk or they're pushed around in a gigantic stroller? Yeah, who's making those gigantic strollers? Because that we won't make fun of. I would like to be pushed around in a a gigantic stroller. Well, being pushed around in a giant stroller is like, are you an adult baby or are you in a Gwen Stefani music video? You know what I mean? Are you in the... You know, actually, the fiercest adult baby moment ever was the music video for that song on the Rugrats soundtrack that was like Maya and Blackstreet and the best part is like Mace has a whole rap in it that's about the Rugrats and he's like Look at the one with all exposure Dill is the one that drop in the stroller and Tommy got the whole world on his shoulder <laughs> And just like that, <laughs> shall we talk about sex in the city? And just like that is the best transition line, actually, because we can go from talking about our dumb bullshit and be like, and just like that, we're on to talking about well, sex in the city. Well, that's why Carrie Bradshaw uses it in her column so much. She's like, how do I transition this? And then she's like, later that evening, I got to thinking. I couldn't help but wonder. You know, she has her like roster of catchphrases. Um, yeah, so Big is back. He's not dead. 
which we uh, kind of knew. They've taken our advice and they've dialed down the spray tan. Blessed be. <laughs> Should we have a, a Chris Noth, Mr. Big spray tan chart? Yeah, and the, the four is Sex in the City one. Yes, where he looks like Tony Curtis. Big looks good. He does not look like Kim Cattrall at the 2001 Golden Globes. Oof. Yeah, I've seen people say maybe they just have Chris Noth there, but it's his funeral or something. He actually is dead because for the other films, they've shot scenes that didn't exist, which they lie when they say that. Like there's one shot of Kim Cattrall during the Bryant Park wedding scene where she's in a wedding dress. Yeah. But they didn't fully shoot a scene where Samantha's getting married. That's setting money on fire. I read that they had to do alternate takes of Carrie and Big's fight on the street. Right. And, and like there was one where they like made up just so it wasn't like immediately clear that she had been jilted on her wedding day. And then also on the season six DVD, they shot multiple takes of what happened when she comes back from New York, I believe, where it's like Big told us that he loved you. Exactly, the boy who cried love. He went all the way to Paris to choke. I'm going all the way to Napa to choke him. Oh, let it go, ladies. It's big. It's the big ending we've all been waiting for. Wow, we know way too much about sex in the city. It's our 10,000 hours, unfortunately. (laughs) It's the only thing we have genius level on. So in addition to Big, we also have another returning character, which is... Bitsy Von Muffling. But she has not been away from the Sex and the City universe that long because she has a blink and you'll miss it appearance during the rehearsal dinner scene in the first film. As you'll recall, she was the one who married the gay man. She was also then later brought into Charlotte's fertility plotline with her geriatric pregnancy. Oh, did you see that someone sent us a DM that we shouldn't call it geriatric pregnancy? Why? Because this woman is 33 and going through fertility issues, which... That's just like the technical term. And I think geriatric pregnancies start at like 35 or something. Like it's very... Hold on. Actually, I'm going to figure that out. But I remember both Gwen Stefani and Halle Berry being pregnant in their 40s and going on like Ellen Generous or something and referring to it as a geriatric pregnancy. Yeah. Women over the age of 35 having kids, it's technically geriatric. I know it's like very rude terminology. It's kind of like how the threshold for obesity is like not that high, you know, it's like. So what do you think their child's name is? Little Fine? Little Baby Fine? Oh God. I don't know. Where's his casting and all these casting announcements? You know what? It could be the gender-fluid FIT student that we discussed last Last week. week. So it's very clear that the scene that they were shooting this week is a funeral scene. Yes, we saw in the casting call it said a gala, but... Everyone is dressed in full black. Of course, Carrie is in black and white because she's got to go. She's got to dress like it's a Truman Capote ball. (laughs) Totally. She has a bird on her head again, which only signals bad things. (laughs) Exactly. After seeing that, it's now become clear to me that the wardrobe department is very consciously referencing things that she has worn on the show or in the films. I mean, it's a thoughtful thing to do for the fans, and it's certainly great content for us, and it kind of keeps this in the news cycle you know so thank you molly rogers and team yeah but anyway we don't we're pretty sure it's a funeral scene i don't think they're trying to punk us by having you know pretending as if big is actually in this scene but really he's going to be in a coffin we think that the funeral is for bitsy von muffling's husband bobby fine as portrayed by nathan lane in this series i guess nathan lane wasn't tech avail (laughs) Well, also, I was thinking about Carrie's hat. I'm like, that is a really inappropriate thing to wear to a funeral. But it's like, I wouldn't be surprised if Bobby Fine had his origin story was that he was like a milliner at Bendel's or something before he made a splash in the downtown cabaret scene. His origin story is the same as Halston. Yeah. He's who took over after Halston left Bergdorf's. I could see that for him. Absolutely. I thought what you were going to say is that Bobby Fine had it listed what people had to wear to his funeral, because I could see that as well, that there's a dress code. (laughs) There would be a dress code at your funeral. You'd make us all wear caftans. Yeah. Well, I just want to have a rack of mine, like at the door, and you can just wear them as you go in, you know? Guys, this is what Chelsea made us do for her birthday last year. (laughs) She made us all get in her caftans, and we took a group photo. I mean, you guys seemed really, like, eager and willing to do that. Of course. How many opportunities do we get to wear a caftan next year i guess this year we have to do that again but actually go out yeah totally 
What else is happening in the Sex in the City universe? Um, did you notice that Andrew Cuomo has been in the news quite a bit? <laughs> yeah, it seems like that's really dominating the news cycle, although I've been kind of ignoring it. Some of you might be asking yourselves right now, what does Andrew Cuomo have to do with Sex in the City? But, dear listener, Cynthia Nixon in 2018 ran for governor against Andrew Cuomo. Yes. And unfortunately lost. Wow, I can't believe that was, like, that long ago. But only three years. I mean, truly the last five years have felt like a decade, so time doesn't make any sense anymore. But the thing is, if Cynthia had beat him and won and was currently the governor of New York, we would not get this reboot. It just wouldn't happen. You don't think she'd be the first governor to, like, abdicate for about six months so she can shoot? (laughs) I think that, like, we can handle Kim Cattrall being gone, but it just be Sarah Jessica Parker and Kristen Davis would just be too weird. It would be like Kim and Courtney take Miami or something. Who took Miami? Chloe and Courtney took Miami. Kim and Courtney took the Hamptons. Okay, right. Anyway, it looks like there's going to be a vacant governor position. We're just saying, <laughs> Cynthia, you know, when and just like that wraps. We did do a campaign commercial and a fundraiser for you. We are available. Yeah, we'll, we'll make more merch for you. That was so fun. The funnest part, though, was that the campaign merch that we designed for Cynthia Nixon was a hot topic on The View. Sex in the City uh, alum Cynthia Nixon is using her celebrity to campaign for governor of New York by selling hats and shirts with the slogan, I'm a Miranda and I'm voting for Cynthia. <laughs> What do you think? I'm a Miranda. So you're yeah, Miranda? I guess her name on the show was, was Miranda, Miranda yeah. right? Yeah. And they were all like really offended by it. Were they? I mean, they were just kind of like, are you taking this seriously? Like, how, how do you expect to step away from this Cynthia the actress if this literally says, like, I'm a Miranda and I'm voting for Cynthia? It's like, well, that's just funny messaging. I'm sorry. And you say that as the designer of said merch. <laughs> I think they were fierce. We'll post in the in the episode notes for yeah. those of for those of you who've just joined us in the last two years and know nothing about this. Yeah, in non Sex in the City news, it's finally happened for you, Lauren. House of Gucci. House of Gucci. The trailer came out this week. Oh my god! What did you think of it? Okay, <laughs> look, I love the story. I love the director. I love all the actors. It was a little campier than I was expecting. It was way campier than I was expecting. It felt like Ryan Murphy trying to make a Ridley Scott film, which I was not expecting. Well, it felt like straight up Ryan Murphy. I mean, Ryan Murphy is the person who we who is getting these types of projects made. So I think it's natural to associate him with that. Also, any trailer where words start flashing on the screen that say like sex, murder, betrayal, it's like, you know, something's fucked. <laughs> like that could be like a pro- promo for like Desperate Housewives or something. Or a Lifetime film. Yeah, I mean, that's a very outdated reference. Or what was that like dirty, sexy money show? Like that kind of shit. That's very outdated, that reference. (laughs) But yeah, yeah. It's like, is this Dr. Death or is this House of Gucci? (laughs) Also, what do we think of Lady Gaga's Italian accent because I can't discern whether or not it just seems really campy within the context of this trailer or it's like a really, really over the top. So the answer is both because the accent does seem like Gaga just studied Maya Rudolph doing Donatella Versace. I don't consider myself to be a particularly ethical person, but I am fair. But actually... This is how Patrizia Reggiani actually sounds. Better to uh, cry in Rolls Royce than to be happy in on a bicycle. So both things can exist. It is ridiculous and it is actually accurate, which so rarely happens. Yeah. I can't figure out whether or not this is going to be an amazing film and Gaga is going to get her second Best Actress Oscar nomination or if it's going to be her personal mahogany, right? So it's like coming off an Oscar nomination, doing a film that you think is going to be really highbrow and major, and then ultimately it's just like a critically panned camp classic that only gay people care about. I know the Golden Globes are not going to exist next year. We we (laughs) banned it for a year, but this would definitely be the type of role where it's like she gets nominated for Best Musical Comedy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. (laughs) 
Can we get into Jared Leto? Oh my God. Jared Leto's uh, Jeffrey Tambor transformation. Can you imagine being Jeffrey Tambor's agent? And they're like, sorry, Jeffrey, you've been canceled. You can't appear in the last season of Transparent. And we're replacing you with Jared Leto, who has gained 60 pounds for the role. He wishes. He won't even do that shit anymore. That is a fat suit and a bald cap. Look, Jared Leto will not be denied prosthetics, okay? (laughs) Here's the other thing is I looked up who he's playing, Paolo Gucci, and like, yes, he's a little stockier and bald, but he doesn't look like that. It's so insulting. (laughs) That's a really fucked job. The family of Gucci is like, okay, our laundry's being aired out. Gaga's got this ridiculous accent, even though that's what Patrizia Reggiani actually sounds like, who's still alive, by the way. So I can't wait for that tell-all, because she's already mad that they've made this film and Gaga didn't meet with her. Is she still in jail or like... No, she got released. Oh, okay. She got released like 10 years ago, maybe? 15, something like that. I hope she's walking the carpet in Gucci. (laughs) Can you imagine um, Gucci like on their Instagram tagging, being like, Patricia, what's her name? Reggiani. Reggiani uh, wearing a crystal gown from our Aria collection. (laughs) Also, I was wondering, it's like, whoever cut this trailer, did they watch the David Lynch Gucci commercial that also utilizes a haunting version of Blondie's Heart of Glass? Also, can't you just get an Italian singer to do Blondie's Heart of Glass? I mean... That's at least doing something different. You know who they should have hired? Who? Alicia Keys. (laughs) Are you saying this because of the demented intro song for Sex and the City 2 that (laughs) Alicia Keys does to the tune of Rapture by Blondie? Yeah, we need to um, create more awareness around the fact that this song exists because I think a lot of people who watch Sex and the City 2 just blocked like all of Sex and the City 2 out from their memory, including this song. But it's really insane. They basically mash up Blondie's Rapture with the Sex and the City theme song, which sounds so insane. We'll drop a clip of it here. And then when you think it can't get any campier, the rap comes in. Yeah, sorry guys. I wanted to put in eight seconds and Chelsea was like, no, you have to put the entire <laughs> rap in. I mean, the line, I'm so Carrie and my man's so big, that's just good songwriting. Like, that's like brilliant. Do you think it's better or worse than Fergie's song from the first film, Labels or Love? I think somehow they're just on a completely even playing field. They're parallel tracks. They're in their own genre, and there's only two songs in the genre, and it's Labels or Love and uh, Alicia Keys' Rapture. So we've done a commentary track for the first film that we've screened, and you know when stuff opens up again, we'll do more screenings. But if any Los Angeles-based film programmers want to hit us up. Or even event spaces that'll play films. Yeah. But I can't understand about Fergie's song. It's not labels and love. It's labels or love. And it's like, well, which one are you going to pick, Carrie? Do you want labels? Wait, this is an aside, but have we ever talked about the time that I was in a lecture at Parsons? I don't think you were ever in this class. And this guy, uh, I forget what the professor's name was, but he was like, okay, do you want to be Tom Ford or do you want to be Gucci? I guess I want to be Gucci. (laughs) Was Tom Ford the correct answer at the time, though? I don't know, but it makes me feel like labels are love. I'm like, uh, both? <laughs> um, actually, I want to be Prada. Fuck you. <laughs> that If you were in the class, that would have been your answer. I'd be course. like, uh, neither. Hard pass. Heard of Margiela? Like... 
Um, but Gaga <laughs> has to be doing a song for the House of Gucci soundtrack. There's no way she can't. Well, yeah, it's going to be like the theme from Mahogany. She needs to get those double Oscar nominations. Or if it's a terrible, campy performance, at least she'll get the single, like Diana Ross. I hope she gets the rare thing where she's nominated for a Razzie and an Oscar for the yeah. same thing. I believe that this could be that. <laughs> that, <laughs> that, that event. Yeah. Uh, speaking of which, Gaga has been uh, pulling some extreme looks for the paparazzi. Yeah, I'm not here for it. I mean, she looks good. I think her stylist is doing a reasonably good job. I have a lot of empathy for any stylist that has to churn out this many looks on a weekly basis. But Weekly, daily. Yeah, but it all feels like very, very contrived to me. But that's kind of always been her thing. And I feel like my issue with Gaga has been her lack of commitment to an aesthetic. Like she has aesthetics, but the fact that they're all mashing together within a day of each other where it's like, first of all, we're back to the the seven inch platforms again. Okay, well, I hate that. That feels outdated. I'm not ready for a high shoe anymore. I'm still like traumatized from that like Daphne Guinness era of fashion, like street fashion explosion time. But I also thought we were past this because her styling, like her, the look she was pulling and the aesthetic that she had adopted from when she was shooting, I almost called it the shallow, when she was sh- <laughs> In the shallow. Look, we're far from the shallow now with these looks. Yeah, we uh, are. Well, actually, but we're back to the Born This Way era because this is when she previously would wear these outlandish, like very editorial, like couture type looks out on the street, not on a red carpet, just for the purpose of the paparazzi photographing her. But then she doesn't post them on Instagram, which is like really insane because she's trying to be casual and not attention seeking. But it's like, girl, like you can't have it both ways. I guess that's what I was trying to say is when she was shooting A Star is Born into, I mean, when she went to the Grammys and the Oscars, it felt like an evolution. And now we've gone backwards. Yeah, we have gone backwards. And also it's like, I understand this approach to being a pop star. Like this is very much cut from the cloth of like a Grace Jones or a Ziggy Stardust era David Bowie or even a Devo. But the thing about Grace Jones and Devo is that they didn't have Instagram. You didn't see like the documentary Five Foot too about Grace Jones, you know? For sure. And she's wearing all of these, I'll call them like lady gowns and lady outfits because she put out an album that I think came out yesterday or Tuesday, this week at least, which is more covers with Tony Bennett. So it's like, okay, so she's... Was that an album or was that just a song? No, it's a full album. Oh. But then the outfits are defeating the point because if we're pop culture obsessives and we didn't even know that this album was coming out, then what is the point of all of these looks? Well, I think some of them are sort of in anticipation of this Gucci movie. Like a lot of these looks like, especially like the Alessandra Rich ones feel very Italian fashion, whatever. And I think those work on her because I feel like that brand is like a very specific combination of modest and whorish, which works for her. But I think like wearing like a full, like fresh off the runway Valentino Couture look with an ostrich hat, however fabulous, is just not the move right now. Well, especially because she just went from her hotel entrance to the car and then we never saw that outfit again. It's not like she went to Good Morning America or something in that ensemble. Yeah. Do you think every editor, when they saw that paparazzi photo, was like, fuck? Now no one can call that look in. I mean, it's been in every publication. I think she got triggered by the amount of attention that Sex and the City reboot is getting and like she just needed to start pulling looks for the paps again. But to be fair, the Richard Quinn caftan is fabulous. But that's like what I would wear. Again, she's wearing lady outfits. She's turning out looks and that I completely understand. And then the other day she came out in sky blue bike shorts and a sports bra and then those white platform heels and it's like what are we doing here because if you're trying to be a subversive basic chick that i understand but then why are we wearing valentino couture pieces at night it's just i need a little consistency in the aesthetic whatever the aesthetic is yeah because like madonna really like picked an aesthetic for each era that she was in and like committed to it until like the cycle was over and then like had a totally different look and And then she was gone that's my point about you know in three months she's gonna have a whole different all gucci out look for the House of Gucci press tour. Yeah. Speaking of pop stars, Rihanna is a billionaire now. Woohoo! 
eat your heart out house of gaga what, what <laughs> house <you>? laboratories <laughs> is definitely not valued at half a billion dollars or maybe it is i don't know like kylie jenner and like most people that are billionaires it's not like liquid yeah <laughs> Their companies, the things that they own and have are worth a billion dollars. That's not to say Rihanna has a shit ton of money. Yeah. It's a little bittersweet for me because she is a billionaire, not because of her music. It's because of Savage Fenty. It's because of Fenty Fenty Beauty. Beauty. Fenty Beauty has never really spoken to me. I guess just because of the packaging doesn't really speak to me. It oddly enough doesn't really feel like very Rihanna-y to me. I see what you're saying. Also, I, when it came out, swatch tested every foundation and could not find one that matched me and i understand that that was what was so transgressive about her beauty line and why part of it oh yeah that was amazing is the amazing shade range but this pale bitch could not find her shade yeah and like savage fenty it's like yeah sure love to see a size inclusive lingerie brand but i'd rather have her like release a song than like try to sell me like a neon green lace teddy do you remember when zach de la roca left Rage Against the Machine, he was like, I'm working on a solo album, and this was in the year 2000, and it's 2021, and that solo album has never come out. Are you still waiting for this? Are you the one person that's (laughs) like, when's he gonna drop it? Yeah, I mean, on one hand, Rihanna can do whatever the fuck she wants. If she wants to piece out, like, Kate Bush, more power to her, but if the goal is to be a pop star, it is weird to leave the game for so long at the height of your popularity because how old is she is she early 30s yeah she's like i don't know 33 34 i mean being a pop star is kind of like being a professional athlete there are only so many years that you can compete because our culture is very ageist and it's also just really hard to stay relevant for such a long period of time like we can't all be like musha pradas you know Even Madonna isn't able to stay relevant. And she was the biggest star in the world at Rihanna's age. Right, but she would rather be a mogul. Like that seems easier than trying to create the next best pop song. Because she's also put herself in a place of like, it has to be great. Yeah. I mean, I was a different person when Anti came out. I don't even know who that person is anymore. How would you feel if she never released an album again? I mean, that's kind of what I'm expecting at this point. So she will indeed be like the Zach De La Roca of pop stars. <laughs> we'll see. On Sunday, an interview Matt Damon did with the Times UK went around the internet where he said that his daughter implored him to stop saying the F word slur. Oh, it's so awkward. You have to say the F word because you're straight. <laughs> Matt Damon said faggot. <laughs> well, did he say that or did he say fag or faggot? Look, I'm sure that there's plenty of people that would be offended by a lesbian saying the F word. I mean, people that don't really care about context and intent, but I don't think those people listen to this podcast. But I won't be saying the word. Now, is it the... Because when you say the F word, that means fuck. So should I I say the F slur? The F slur, I guess. Um, So the story that he told, or as it was reported in the Times UK, he says, I made a joke months ago and got a treatise from my daughter, Damon told the Times. She left the table. I said, come on, that's a joke. I say it in the movie Stuck on You. She went to her room and wrote a very long, beautiful treatise on how that word is dangerous. I said, I retire the F-slur. I understood. Why are you telling this story to a journalist? I just don't understand why this needed to be said publicly. But this is not the first time that Matt Damon has, mm, how did Team America put it? Matt Damon. In the press. So I would like to go over for you his many public gaffes. Okay, let's, let's get into it. I mean, we're starting off strong. In 1998, he told Oprah that he was indeed single when she asked if he was dating anyone, which was news to his girlfriend and Goodwill Hunting co-star Minnie Driver. So rude. He was good for, for many years, other than evidently saying the uh, F slur in a, in a movie called Stuck on You, which... Well, that's fine. It's a movie. It's a Fairly Brothers film. The guys that did Dumb and Dumber. And the plot of the film is that Matt Damon is a conjoined twin with Greg Kinnear. I'll try and get that image out of my head. And then 2015, I imagine when he was promoting Inside the Candelabra, he suggested that... Or Behind the Candelabra. Oh, behind the Candelabra. <laughs> Or he kind of intimated that maybe actors should just stay in the closet. 
Right. But he was saying it in a way of like, well, no one should know anything about anyone because I think that ruins acting. And it's like, okay, but I know you're straight and married and have a bunch of kids. Right. That same year, he also caught flack for mansplaining diversity to a black producer on the rebooted Project Greenlight, who was advocating for more diversity behind the camera, and to which Damon said to her, when we're talking about diversity, you do it in the casting of the film, not in the casting of the show, meaning the crew. Right. Because why, why have a diverse crew? <laughs> and then, oof, this is... This might be the piece de resistance. In 2017, two months after the start of the Me Too movement, Damon was quoted as saying, you know, there's a difference between, you know, patting on the butt and rape or molestation, right? Both these behaviors need to be confronted and eradicated without question, but they shouldn't be conflated, you know? I completely forgot about that because it feels like since the beginning of the Me Too movement, that feels like 10 years ago. Again, to go back to your point about this feeling like the last five years feeling like a decade. Mm -hmm. So he got flack in the moment. He was doing press, which I would love to talk to the top PR firms who were working with actors who all had films out in the fall of 2017. How did you not have a prepared two sentences for them? Like the amount of actors that got their asses in trouble because they were promoting whatever holiday film and then had to comment on the Me Too movement who got themselves in trouble. Yeah, it's just like, don't talk about it. So he got shit at the time. And then two days later, he was doing another interview to which he felt the need to say, why weren't people talking about the quote shitload of guys, the preponderance of men I've worked with who don't do this kind of thing? Come on. There's so many non-rapers in this industry and I feel like we're not giving them their due. (laughs) It's like, we fucking assume that you're (laughs) non-rapers. And then finally, a few weeks later on, you'll love this, Kathy and Hoda, he admitted that he should get in the back seat and close his mouth for a while. And now this. So because everything relates back to Sex and the City, Sex and the City has had its time with the word faggot and how it rhymes with the word baggot, which I'm sure Michael Patrick King could not help himself with this pun. Oh, he loves a pun. I, of course, remember the time that Stanford, taking Carrie to meet Aiden for the first time, says... Look at this place. It's nothing but faggots and faggots. <laughs> but I was stunned to find out they use the same exact pun as a joke the following season when Charlotte is deciding whether she wants to take the ring that Trey gave her and make it into a necklace, and then the jewelry consultant who's talking to her says... These were my baguettes. Because it turned out my husband was a faggot, now they're earrings. But he had good taste. See, that's the clip that I remembered. But isn't that crazy? Because you've got the Fendi baguette, and then you've got baguette diamonds. (laughs) Do you think he tried to work it in with a French baguette? Michael Patrick King was like, how do I get... (laughs) I know, I'm surprised the Paris episodes were spared of another um, faggot pun. I wonder on the E! showings of these episodes if that gets in. Of course it doesn't. They have to bleep that. Anyway, Matt Damon, stop saying faggot. It's 2021. So I forced you to watch My Unorthodox Life, which is a new Netflix reality show about Julia Hart, who escaped her life in an ultra-Orthodox fundamentalist Jewish community at the age of 40 and became a successful shoe designer. She was the creative director of La Perla, and now she is the CEO of Elite World, which owns elite models and women models and other companies. I will say what I, and this is a Netflix show. It's a Netflix show. We finally found something to watch on Netflix. But I do think this is genius because they had a success with the drama series Unorthodox. And to kind of have parallel shows that are like a fictionalized version and then a reality version. Because that's what I kept thinking when the Fire Festival docs happened is like, as soon as I was finished with those documentaries, I was like, you know what I want? I want a prestige limited series starring like Sam Rockwell or something right now. Get it into my veins. Having said that, it just feels very reality show-y, and it doesn't have to because... How many episodes did you watch? I watched three like you did. Okay, okay. Well, yeah, of course, but all reality shows are like that. That's like the genre. That's a hallmark of the genre. I know, but it was a lot of like, the model's missing. The model's missing, dun-dun. Okay, well, I don't care about that stuff. Like, I don't... All of the manufactured plot lines around her work, like, don't really interest me, but she as a person interests me. She as a person, like, oddly inspires me, and I really enjoy both of her daughters also, especially the bisexual one. You need that Super Soul Sunday conversation. Yeah, I mean, what she did took a lot of courage. Running a business is hard. I do think that she is 
a great role model for young girls who want to wear eight inch heels and tiny little jumpsuits. No, I find her story, I find everyone featured in the show very compelling. But yeah, the the mechanism of reality and the forcefulness of that, where it's like, just let the camera roll and be in their lives. Yeah. But I think it's realer than most reality shows because the issues that she's dealing with within her family, with some of her kids being more religious than others and all of that and just the experience of growing up orthodox and transitioning to the I don't want to say the real world the larger world the I feel broader like, world I feel like she would she would say that I mean she's so hardcore about being secular in her world like there's a whole storyline where the elder daughter who was married before they all left the fundamentalist religion she needs to dump that that guy ASAP by the way. Yes, is he's uncomfortable with her wearing pants and she has to introduce the topic to him, which the daughters are great, but that younger daughter who's basically like, you know what, you shouldn't even be married to him if he wouldn't allow you to wear pants. And I agree, she shouldn't be married to that husband. But if like my younger sister who's never been in a relationship said that to me, I'd smack the shit out of her. Yeah, but like the older sister whose name is Batsheva, by the way, couldn't even concoct a counter argument as to why her marriage was working or why she should stay because if you're if your younger sister tells you to get out of the marriage you should be like you should be able to say like actually no for these reasons but she doesn't have reasons beyond they're legally married okay can we get into the elite fashion line which is the whole episode one and two is the fashion show so she's running like a global talent agency basically but she also is a designer at heart wants to have a brand so she decides to force the two together (laughs) she decides to force this brand upon the world which in theory should make sense it's like look we're providing all of the models for fashion brands yeah why not just have our own i mean i love the idea of it but I mean these clothes are so deranged like I can't imagine anyone but Julia Hart herself wearing them or being able to afford them for that matter yeah that was the crazy thing I sent you the link to the fashion line and it's like whatever it's edgy and Taylor I'm sure this is for a person and then I clicked on one of the outfits and it's a like a short jumpsuit romper of sorts. She loves a romper. That was $3,400. Ball man wouldn't even have the audacity. Yeah, it's like full row prices. And like the gowns are like Gucci crystal embellished gown prices. You know, we're talking like 20K for some of these pieces. It's absolutely nuts. Also, and not to take anything away from her journey, I agree with you, it's incredibly inspiring, but can I say the thing that everyone's wondering, but she won't say out loud? Which is what? That her husband gave her the La Perla job. Well, I don't, okay. They're really like unclear about the timeline of this. They try and seem like when they met, she was already the creative director of La Perla, but I don't believe that to be true. And look, she's releasing a memoir. I will read it. Hopefully it will give us answers to these questions. But there's a there's a haziness around when she leaves her religion and when she starts this shoe line. And then it gets hazy again of how she has a shoe line, but then is asked to design a collection for La Perla, which her current husband was a chairman at the time his holding company then went on to buy elite world i feel like they're trying to make it seem like she already had a successful shoe line that was acquired by la perla and like that's how they met but i don't think that that's actually the case but i'm like where did she get the capital to start the shoe line to begin with because julia hart shit ain't cheap you know we do like tchotchkes and t-shirts as merch and we can tell you how expensive it is. Yeah. I can only imagine shoes made in Italy or whatever they are. Well, that's why having a shoe line or a bag line is just like such a classic rich person vanity project because it's like so expensive to manufacture that stuff and to invest in all the things you need to invest in to make a successful brand like that, you know, PR, etc. So will we be watching the rest of the episodes? I'm going to. All right. <laughs> So I see that you put Devin Lee Carlson collab with Mark Jacobs on the dock, but like I have no idea who the fuck this is. Like, who is this? Yeah, this is gonna. Should be- I care? 
Of course you should care. I put it in the doc. I mean, this will be a great litmus test for our listeners as well. If they are fellow millennials who give a shit about a Gen Z YouTuber who is at times the most ordinary person I've ever seen in my life and yet incredibly beautiful. Her YouTube videos are so incredibly banal and yet I can't stop watching them. And I was sort of shocked to see that she did a collaboration with Marc Jacobs and how this came to my attention was on TikTok. Oh, she is beautiful. Yeah. How this came to my attention was the other day I was seeing on TikTok, I guess I'm on Devin Lee Carlson's side of TikTok, of uh, people's disappointment with this collection. And so I saw some chick who was like, I wish you had done cowboy boots and like a Godier type uh, mesh shirt. This is like pretty cute, honestly. Bags are cute. The slip dress is cute. But then again, Mark Jacobs has a great in-house team. To, I don't think Devin is like an illustrator making these, uh, these Walter sing. Van Buren Donk E digi prints. Or I don't know, is she cool? Like, is she a true it girl? Or is she a YouTube? Because I don't think it girls and YouTube, like that's like oil and water. I think she's one of the few breakthrough people that could have, without the internet, probably been an it girl. But I think the thing that's so powerful about an it girl is like the mystique around them. It's back to what we were saying about Lady Gaga trying to have a Grace Jones moment. It's just like when you start to know like people's daily routine, like what their house looks like and what skincare products they use and shit it's like you lose that cool factor yeah you lose the cool factor because i think what you want to know you want to be desperate to know like what is she wearing you want to be like foaming at the mouth to know that shit but if they tell you it's like you don't care anymore that's true yeah it's weird to see them do a collaboration with an influencer and also i was very surprised to see her numbers aren't that big they're not like emma chamberlain numbers do you know who emma chamberlain is i think i've heard of this person so our friend Maya, Chelsea, and I have a group chat where we talk about all the like pop culture bullshit that we love. And then Maya and I have our own chat that we about shit that we know Chelsea will not care about. And it's exclusively like influencers, TikTok, <laughs> and too. YouTubers. Don't care. Don't want it. No. Guys, let us know if you cared about this. Should we be? I certainly didn't. <laughs> But I'm fascinated with people who have quote unquote style in this new generation because they're all exclusively just doing Y2K cosplaying. Right. And know nothing about designers or fashion and are constantly, this is the thing that drives me. Wow, we sound really old and bitter. (laughs) I don't care. They call everything thrifting. Going to Stella Dallas isn't thrifting. Stop. You're not thrifting unless you're going to one of those places where you pay for clothing by the pound. Yes. You're not thrifting unless it's benefiting some sort of Christian organization. Like, you're just not doing it right. Unless you're on estatesales.net every hour just checking for new estate sales to bum rush. Yeah, I hate that, like, estate sale influencers are a thing. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure, like, the people that aren't influencers that go to estate sales are the ones that really hate that shit. I mean, I can't be bothered to, like, get up early and compete with rabid postmodern furniture dealers in Los Angeles. Well, as I've learned, it's all about going the last day because everything's 50% off. <sighs> Spoken like someone who watches too much estate sale content on TikTok. I'm also on the estate sale side of TikTok. <laughs> that and relationship tarot card TikTok. It's constantly... So it'll be like something about Devin Lee Carlson. It'll be about an estate sale I missed, even though I was looking at estatesale.net. And then it'll be a tarot card reading about how like I shouldn't give up hope because he's coming back any day. <laughs> And he's thinking about me. And I'm like, oh, really? And then it goes back to like an influencer. (laughs) The cycle repeats again and again and again. Wow. Let me know if you need help. You know, you can ask for help. You can literally just say, Chelsea, I need need help. Take this phone away from me. I'll lock it in the safe that you bought to lock your cell phone in. It's true. I bought a lockbox for my phone because I can't help myself. Yeah, but what if you like start choking on food like Miranda in that episode of Sex in the City? She and, like, didn't have if a you cell phone You could have just called either. an ambulance. Well, I guess you have a landline. <laughs> That'll be the one time your landline doesn't work, though. <laughs> All right. You'll be like, Siri, call 911. I'm choking, Chelsea. How would I say oh, no, that? Is Siri actually going to say that? I, did, I make sure Can you my- imagine the cops come to the house? Wait, did I tell you when I was in Provincetown, a female police officer comes up to me. I don't know why I'm <laughs> relaying her gender to everyone. And she was like, yeah, so to my friends, one of you guys called 911. 
Wait, I'm sorry. Were you at the house? Or you were just out and about? No, we we're just walking down Commercial Street. Oh. And we're like, we didn't call 911. So we're all looking at our phones. And then I remembered Nikki's phone was in my. I, I was about to say it was got to be Nikki's phone. Go Nikki's on. phone was in my handbag because she, that was when she was in a wheelchair after her like fucked up bicycle accident on the Brooklyn Bridge. Anyway. She's fine, guys. She's fine. She's walking. Love to you, Nikki. But I was holding her phone and I don't know. I didn't touch her phone. I guess it just like was unlocked and I banged against it five times or something. But it was embarrassing because they'd been listening to our conversation for the past 10 minutes is what the woman said. And what we were talking about was that rumor that Jay-Z and Rihanna fucked like around the time that like Ponda replay, like maybe Umbrella era, like early in Rihanna's career. Mm-hmm. And we were all just like going in on all the theories that we had heard about this and getting like really granular about like fucking Beyonce versus fucking Rihanna and all of this sort of stuff. And that's what the Provincetown PD had to listen to. Well, thank God it was the P-Town PD. <laughs> yeah, they didn't seem that judgmental. I think yet again we're gonna we're gonna skip Kardashian and go into the in and out list. So this week, Lourdes Leon's modeling career is in, and therefore Lourdes Leon's unfortunate placement on the second page of Vogue's Gatefold September issue cover would be out. Tracy Ellis Ross's Bottega Veneta jumpsuit is in, Ooh, and Margot Robbie Chanel jumpsuit is out. She did look like a mummy. And we made a joke a couple of weeks ago when I said that Marion Cotillard looked fucked in Chanel because she was wearing bike shorts that I had assumed that they were gatekeeping all the good Chanel outfits for Margot Robbie. But evidently she got fucked in Chanel too. So who who's getting the good Chanel outfits? Well, it's also, it's just that it's a jumpsuit. I mean, Tracy Ellis Ross is one of the rare people, I think just because of her lineage, that can wear a jumpsuit without looking crazy. And that Bottega ostrich jumpsuit that we talked about in previous episodes certainly is fabulous. So that actually did work. But Margot Robbie looks insane. And also, Tracy Ellis Ross seemingly wasn't going anywhere. She was just in her house taking very modelly photos in that ostrich feather jumpsuit. And I think that's what it's about in a post-COVID era of just dressing the fuck up but never leaving your house. Moving on, Violet Tchotchke's dominatrix-inspired Mistress Violet video is in. I mean, that's honestly the best fashion I've seen all week. That's like the only person who looks cool in Scaparelli. Oh, that's the one. <laughs> She's the one. And Poosh's Basic Bitch Guide to BDSM is out. Yeah, it's there's been such little Kardashian news that we actually like read an article that Courtney promoted in her stories that was like, swipe up to learn about fetishes. And you were like, absolutely. I think it was written by the same unpaid interns that write Cosmopolitan magazine, like the virgins that haven't had sex. Chelsea, I wrote that article, okay? <laughs> It's my side hustle is writing articles for Poosh. Well, you know, it's an intern writing the article when the list of fetishes that they cite isn't even from Wikipedia. It's from a tweet. And that list also includes necrophilia and pedophilia, which I'm sorry, are not fetishes. But anyway. Age play, role play, maybe. (laughs) I did enjoy the line. It was something about like, you don't have to commit to this as a lifestyle. You could have a fetish one night stand. And I was like, ooh, the inner Carrie Bradshaw came out. Well, also when they're like, um, here's a list of fetishes that we found. Um, not that we've done them. It's like, okay, bitch, calm down. Like, Also, reading this article, <laughs> it's clear you've never tried to never this. done them. Also, they're like spanking, but like, remember consent. It's like... <sighs> Yeah, bitch, could you make spanking less hot than, like, reminding me about consent? They also list sex toys, which I never thought of as a fetish. Well, I guess objects can be fetishes. So I guess sex toys are a fetish object. But I think when something is so mainstream and so, like, is part of vanilla sex i think it ceases to be a fetish you know? although if you went to a guy's house and he opened up a wall and it was just a wall of vibrators that would be a sex toy fetish i guess yeah exactly i think yeah yeah do you have a christian gray uh, inbuilt closet for your dildos that's when you have a sex toy fetish also he only got away with that because he was rich but that's yeah. a whole other conversation <laughs> a thousand percent okay so lady gaga's richard quinn caftan is in and as previously noted, Lady Gaga's nine-inch platform heels are out. Um, 
I don't understand this one, but wondering how many of BJ Novak's girlfriends will find each other on Demois is in. And wondering if BJ Novak is the father of Mindy Kaling's children is out. Who's BJ Novak? Okay, BJ Novak uh, was a writer and an actor in The Office. He dated Mindy Kaling. They broke up. They were also together in the show and broke up. And he's just one of those like New Yorker guys, like writes for the New Yorker, has done a book of essays. Right. And over the weekend, you know, Dumas does these basically gawker stalker sightings. And so someone was like, oh, saw BJ Novak out on a date. And, so, and then another sighting was like, oh, I saw him out with like this girl. And like one had blonde hair, one had brunette hair. And then one of the girls in the photos was like, thank you for letting me know I shouldn't waste my time now that I know that he's been dating other chicks. And then like a cavalcade of women just came out that were like, oh, I just went to dinner with him a few days ago. I w-. So he was pulling a short Charlotte York when she double booked. Yes, but it seems like he's quadruple booking. <laughs> And so now they want to start a support group. <laughs> and I've already optioned this plot as a, as a rom-com that I'm going to sell. So don't, no one else takes this. It's the women, but with a fuck boy. <laughs> so Pete Davidson's smart water print campaign is in. Genuinely refreshing. Tiffany, maybe take some notes. Tiffany, like, why didn't you get Pete Davidson to be the face of your brand? Oh, you want to talk about not your mother's Tiffany? If because was- that, that copy would actually work with Pete Davidson. Oh, my God. Dripping in Elsa Peretti? Yeah. That would oh. be like, oh, yeah, your mother would never. <laughs> well, and then it's also kind of like, is he going to fuck your mother? Like, uh, Yeah, that copy that I was making fun of last week where it's like, say hi to your mom for me, but it was Pete <laughs> Davidson would absolutely make sense. Yeah. It's all in the casting. So therefore, what's out is Pete Davidson's Smart Water video. Yeah, I didn't find that to be funny. Did you? No. I've made a lot of questionable choices. And a couple of them need removing. Were all my bad decisions because I was dehydrated? I mean, maybe. Definitely not. And lastly, faggots are in. (laughs) Well, if that's in, then Matt Damon must be out. But not out, out. (laughs) Not out of the closet. Um, you got to watch Behind the Candelabra for that. He was great in that, may I say. We spent a lot of time shitting on him, but... Yeah, he was great in that. And he played a, as Evan Ross Katz said on, on Instagram, he played a demon twink in Talented Mr. Ripley. Oh, yeah, he did. Anyway. Um, Maybe he can say this word. <laughs> no. <Yeah>. No. <laughs> no. Thank you guys for listening. Please no one cancel me and we'll be back next week. Yeah, please no one cancel Chelsea because next week is our 25th episode. Is it? Yeah. Wow. I'll get a foil balloon made just for the occasion. <laughs> please do. All right. Bye, guys. Bye.